This is Research Software Engineer Stories, coming straight at you from USRSC, the US Research Software Engineer Association. Welcome to RSC Stories. I'm Vanessa Socket, and today I'm joined by Zhang, who is the Deputy Associate Director of Software at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. He's worked at NCSA since 2006, and at one point was a senior research scientist too, and he's going to tell us all about his journey since then. So first, welcome to RSC Stories. Thank you. So let's start with your training. What and where did you study before you joined the National Center for Supercomputing Applications, and how did that lead you to where you are now? Interestingly, I don't have a computer science background. I trained, I have a PhD as an urban planner, and my degree at Urban and Champaign. So I finished my PhD, master and PhD degree at urban and regional planning at Urban and Champaign campus, University of Illinois. So, and then I got a job at NCSA as a postdoc in 2006. They looked for a person who are able to do geospatial programming or GIS programming. So I was hired as a postdoc in 2006. After one year, they identified that my skill set is really well met to the research scientist at NCSA. So I promoted in a way to research scientist at NCSA. And since then, I work at NCSA for research scientists. And then right now, I'm at the Deputy Associate Director of the Software, working with Kenton McKinney. Interesting. So can you share with us what an urban planner does, what kinds of problems they solve, and what you sort of expected to do when you were studying that? Yes. So uh, especially my dissertation is about transportation planning related to unscheduled event, which is like hazard or earthquake or terrorist attack, things like that. So my PhD study is about working with the transportation planning and regional economics to understand when this unscheduled event happens, how the cities or regions could recover back in terms of recovering transportation network and things like that. So because of that, I studied a lot related to geospatial information system, GIS, and also does programming as my extra hobby or extra work at the time. So when I interviewed the postdoc position at NCSA, it's a kind of fit to their needs at the time the project they want to have. That definitely does seem like it would map very well into roles involved in research. So now to kind of switch to the other side, what does the deputy associate director do? As I mentioned to you, associate director is a Kenton McKinney. So we work together and basically, we co-lead a group, but he's basically my boss. But I'm mostly focused on you know, working with the leads of the groups on their software directorates and help them to establish their teams and also work with the career path growth and also help them to acquire some of the skills regarding manager roles they have. Obviously, at the same time, I do have my own project as a PI of the certain projects we have with NIST and NSF and things like that. Could you tell us about either some recent or meaningful projects that you've worked on or helped with? Yes, currently I'm a co-PI of project called Center of Excellence funded by NIST, especially focused on community resilience. And we are, NCSA team are developing the software for 
the center of excellence the regarding community resilience, the platform named INCORE, I-N-C-O-R-E. So it's interdependent network community regions modeling environment. So basically, we developed a cyber infrastructure on Kubernetes and Docker technology, but we work with 10 universities, about 40-some researchers to acquire their analysis, implementation, and data onto one platform and integrate all those things together to provide a community resilience information and science to the community. So that's a 10 years of project. We just finished a five years project this year and we just started six year to next 10 years of renewal we have as a partners with this Center of Excellence project. So the idea of a resilient community is basically they're provided with infrastructure and software so that they can accomplish whatever kind of scientific analyses they want to do through the long term? That's a good question. I should say that first. So community resiliency or resilient community is one concept currently very hot topic in the physical community. Uh, idea is how the community are resilient when or hazard happened to their community, how quickly they're able to recover back to the normal stage before that event happened. So when community design their community resiliency plan or some kind of implementation, they need some scientific information regarding understands the resiliency of their community. So our tools and our scientists, we are work together to provide the software tools that community planners maybe or resilience planners even research scientists or the researchers to analyze their community or certain area of interest. Oh, that's really interesting. So is the idea that you can put together sort of a package, meaning sort of plan and infrastructure ideas and hand it over to a different institution? The, we provide a platform, so we are work with the partners. So they are using our system to uploading their building information, transportation network information, variety of information and also they're able to define their scenario hazard. Sometimes it's earthquake, sometimes tsunami, sometimes tornado, hurricanes. So they can pick some scenario and then using that hazard, our system able to compute damage estimation, loss estimation, and recovery times. And currently we are working with some policy optimization. So what if you change the retrofit strategy of the buildings what if you change certain demographic locations, how that impact to the community resiliency like that? Oh, I see. So you're sort of providing it as a service to other communities. That's right. And I have to ask, how has your experience been with Kubernetes? This is a very interesting journey <laughs> because we adopted from about five years ago and we learn a lot. I think definitely I can say within a couple of years, it's much easier to use and it's matured now. So I remember like a three or four years ago, upgrading Kubernetes did already break all the systems. So you have to reconfigure, sometimes you need to change. And also another hard time we had was some of the package dependencies, some of the technology on Kubernetes doesn't follow the Kubernetes upgrade schedules. So we had to find out what could combination of the set of the plugins or tools in the Kubernetes works well. But now I think that recently within one or a couple of years time is much better environment and ecosystem we can use. So we are pretty comfortable and pretty confident using the Kubernetes now. Oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about you. 
what does research software engineering mean to you and how do you view it in the context of yourself and your role? Thank you for that good question because I'm the one non-traditional person say that at NCSA, I don't have any background as a programmer in the industry. I don't have any background in computer science. I did my programming work because of my research, but I never trained as a professional programmer. So in a way, the research is a main, and then programming is kind of helping tool for my research when I'm doing the PhD. So when I joined the NCSA, first couple of years is very hard because I learned so much from my coworkers, my friends at NCSA, what it being like being a professional programmer. I'm a totally learning the backwards most of cases because right now, RSE people we hired, usually they have a good programming background or they have experience in industry. Now they join our NCSA software group, they're learning about the research aspect or what RSE is. So for me is, very different way of learning about what RSE is. I do understand a lot about research aspect and how important it is to have the software engineers role in especially implementing the research itself. I believe that RSE in the academia, especially there's a lot of digital technology out there requires that by implementation of their science or algorithm on certain platform or cloud, the software engineers are so important at the same time understands the research aspect. Research aspect means that sometimes it's not well-defined task. Sometimes their requirement can be changed over time, but also understands about some what's the importance of the research itself so that we are able to work together with the researchers to help them to enhance their science. And even after deployment of their science can be benefit, other people can use it. Within that context, for I believe that my role, especially as a deputy associate director of software, I work a lot with how we can help to train the staff to acquire this kind of capability through the project or through the, some mentoring or through the, some professional development. Because everyone we work with them has a slightly different level of understanding on those capabilities. So I work with them sometimes directly, or I work with a group team lead that help them to how to mentor their staff together. That's the kind of right now my role most of the, my time. I think that's so important because so many different institutions that have RSE sort of scattered around don't have that kind of structure to help them think about their professional development. And I would definitely say that you're not alone and that many people enter this area not having you know, a computer science background, but having some other background and they sort of learn as they go. And as you said, it's so important if you're, we're gonna be working on these very multidisciplinary problems to not just be able to you know, solve a problem on a blackboard. That's can, right. Can you walk me through an example or what professional development in terms of career progression looks like at NCSA? Frankly speaking, we don't have a really official professional development program, but we do have uh, several aspects of training or provide resources. So definitely one is regarding research aspect. As you know, it is not easy to train them what is like research, but the good thing is all the projects they're going to work on because we are all soft funded, so they're gonna work on some research grant project. So when they join the project, we coach them or mentor them to how to communicate with the scientists, how to communicate with researchers, especially the people who have experience with industry, 
desktop part, they don't know how to do it. So we kind of through the meeting or through the interaction, through the email, even though some Slack messages, sometimes we are kind of coaching them what's a good way to communicate, how to you know maintain the good boundary sometimes, and how to require or request some of the changes, input or feedback between the researcher and our RSE. And also working with the students is another aspect because Usually, the graduate students who are in the research field, they don't understand a lot about the programmer or software engineers, how they work. So we need to work with them very well at the same time to understand the relationship the student has with their professor, and we have a relationship with the professor. The relationship aspect is also another part we try to coach them very carefully so that they are not close a boundary or anything like that. And another aspect, obviously, is the software engineering aspect. We do have a well-established software engineering aspect. However, we have a very different kind of project, sometimes a three months project with half FTE, or we have like five years project with a four FTE, things like that. So depending on size of the project, nature of the project, we have a different kind of set of project management, software engineering practices we do have. So when new hired or some people join different type of those software engineering practices, we help them through to acquire, understand, and do the best practice regarding software engineering in terms of the development, in terms of documentation, in terms of their software engineering processes, development processes together. And then lastly, this one is we're still struggling a little bit is help them to writing a proposal because we are in the academia. So we are engaging a lot of times about proposal writing opportunity because we are building this uh, trust relationship with the collaborator, when they have opportunity, naturally they contact us, let's write a proposal. The thing is, we, I think so far, we have a lot of opportunity out there, but lack of personnel who are able to help or participate in proposal writing. The reason we are struggling is not every developer or not every RSE are good at proposal writing, and because sometimes that requires some special training, special skill set. So we are start to identifying some people are eligible to do or capable of doing it, or even some they are willing to do it. So we work with them. So we have some small proposals. We are able to work with them and walk them through the processes together and also help them to writing. Sometimes I help them to how to draw the diagrams, even something like that. So that's another area we are work with our staff. I'm really glad that you mentioned this people element and a lot of aspects of software engineering that people commonly forget, like writing and making diagrams. These are all important. So I have to ask, how has this working from home in the past, gosh, it seems like forever, how has that impacted your daily work? Just to be honest with you, not a lot because we are used to work or the online system anyway. But I start to find out a couple of things we are trying to adjust. One is the communication skill between the people. There are several things that we think that we are currently adjusting because when we are at the office working together, it's very easy to stop by the office and just casually asking some questions, casually asking you know, how they are doing and things like that. So that replaced by Slack or Zoom or sometimes a phone call or email. What we find out is that Zoom call is a very convenient, but people feel like whenever they make a Zoom call, they feel like they're making a meeting with the people. So that's different from casually talking with them. 
And then another one is a slack. Slack may be close to casually contact them. The issue we find out is that when they are asking questions in channel with a lot of people, they are not get attention a lot. So they sometimes they feel like, oh, my question or my comment is ignored in that channel and things like that. So we are currently discussing about what's effective way to communicating through the Slack channel. That's a casual way to talk to the people. And then still, but we lost the, the human factor because especially the leaders, they want to check on with how they are doing and things like that casually. But it's not anymore casual because whenever they talk to their staff, oh, let's talk about something and usually make a Zoom meeting, they felt like, oh, is anything wrong about it? Or why am I doing right? So it, it raised a little bit of alert because if you're just stopping by office, nobody alerted by it. I think those things are uh, impact on us, but in terms of technology, in terms of work-wise, we don't have a lot of impact because of COVID-19 situation. I have totally had that same experience. Zoom calls are just often exhausting. And then other times when I'll have a meeting arranged with maybe a supervisor, my first thought in my brain goes to, am I in trouble? What did I do wrong? What, what's the purpose for this meeting? But it, it always comes down to the case that they're just checking in. They want to talk. Regardless, the Zoom calls are just totally exhausting. Yeah, I agree. I want to ask you about something a little random. There was a particular piece of software that I saw that you worked on. It was linked to an interface, something called Brown Dog. Does that ring a bell? Yes. So that caught my attention because it sort of let me zoom into parcels of land and see details and ownership. And I'm not sure if it's active anymore, but I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about Brown Dog, why you created it and how you came up with the name. <laughs> First of all, that's the Canton's project. Canton is a PI of the Brown Dog. I was a co-PI. The Brown Dog idea, either NSF funded the project, and for information, officially the project is finished. But we still maintain some of the instances, some of the data. So we try to make the service available. The name, Brown Dog, Canton and I or other people talk about it is basically we call it the MUT. Because the idea about behind the Brown Dog is we want to bring different technologies already out there, but exposed as a very consistent web service API, provide data transformation and data conversion and metadata extraction. That's why the underneath of the API, there's a different technology we are using, sometimes external collaborators technology or internal NCSA technology together. That's why it's a collection or a mud of the software. That's why we came up with the name Brown Dog. Ah, okay, a software mutt. <laughs> Did you know that there is, in fact, a brown dog pizza in a town in Colorado? Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> I found it via Google searching, and possibly you and Kenton will, after this current apocalypse is over, have to take a trip to Colorado and grab a pizza together. If we are able to travel, I have a regular meeting at Fort Collins at Colorado at least once a year. So maybe next time I can try to find out. Okay, so we're coming up on time, so I have just a few more questions for you. Very generally, what do you like most about your work? As a RSE, I love to see that scientists, professors, researchers, they appreciate their work with us. Recently, we work with this agriculture professor, and they do have very complicated model. They have a very hard time to communicate that with the farmers. So we work them to design and web application, very easy access and things like that. And he was so excited and he really appreciated us that 
that his science, his research, able to reach to the farmers. That's one example that really, as RSE, we are able to see that our capability, our collaboration can enhance the science and also impact the society. I think that's really I love about. And on the flip side, what kind of change would you like to see for research software engineering in the next five or 10 years? I'm not good at thinking about big picture here, but I can give you some examples. The one thing recently, I think Kenton also mentioned with your interview maybe, is about when RSE grow in their career, there is a moment they need to choose they want to take the manager role or not. I think that that's the part we really want to see some direction and some clarity. So far, our leaders in RSE, they are really important because of the aspect of the RSE, and then they do have the manager role of their team. We try to figure it out what is a good balance there or how we can develop career paths that complement each other, different career paths or different personnel to do such work. I think that's the kind of the changes or that's like the evolution we want to see in RSE in terms of the leader or manager level of RSE. Another thing is, I think the RSE movement or the organization currently doing really well, but still the concept is affording to some people, RSE concepts, especially when you talk to researchers, when you're writing a proposal with the new collaborators, they don't have much concept of RSE. So they are more treating us as a, just a developer, as a, some industry developer or programmer or for hire they had experience before. I really want to see that. The, people have a more aggressive understanding, concrete understanding of RSE. So when they collaborate with us, that they have a right expectation. Uh, same also, we are able to explain what RSE is to our collaborators so we can have a good understanding agreement and expectation. We can work together much better. I think I'd like to see those things as well. And even to take it further, that branching between manager and RSE there should be further branching for RSC so that the different specialties that an RSC could potentially have will come out and then institutions know and understand that and then can ask for specific funding and you don't have to have these conversations like, well, let me tell you what an RSC is. Let me try to convince you in the same conversation <laughs> that you should save funding. Right. For them. <laughs> Actually, I remember one more thing because you mentioned that, as you know, it's not any more emerging, but DevOps aspect. Because now we have RSE and now we have DevOps in our teams. The DevOps capability and then their contribution is a lot in RSE or projects we have. So we try to now start to see what is a good way to kind of draw the line of RSE versus sysadmin now. Because some of the RSE we have, they have amazing DevOps skills that really helps, especially work on the Kubernetes or Docker. There's so much required skill now, so that we have a hard time to draw where the line, they are RSE, they are the sysadmin or DevOps. So there's a lot of gray area. So we really want to see that some definition of some collaboration, how we can work with the different titles and different roles in that area or so. Totally agree. And just quickly for our listeners that may not be familiar with the concept of DevOps, could you quickly tell us what it means to do DevOps? This is maybe not official definition, but for our definition currently we are using is DevOps are the staff who are able to do 
the sysadmin work, like what deployment and work with the systems and related to some system engineers and things like that. But they do have also development capability in terms of programming. Traditionally, later job to deploy on the system and make sure the system is running and monitoring is not job of the RSE often, but because of the technology, DevOps they're able to do operation and development together is really brings that gap closed, but make the gray area between RSE, DevOps, sysadmin here. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you'd like to mention or talk about? I just one last comment is one of the strengths of RSE is multidisciplinary because we work with a variety of domain of science. As you know, each scientific domain, they speak different language different terminology, different understanding. Because we are soft-funded, we work with a different domain of science. When their career grow, they have experience. That experience, not just including their capability of programming or development, but also they have a capability of working with a multiple different domain or disciplines well. They understand and they know how to communicate. I think that that's one of the huge strengths of the RSE. Zhang, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today and discussing how important these multidisciplinary skills and roles are for research software engineering, and just also hearing how fulfilling it is personally for you. I do hope that you can keep it up, and definitely I hope that when the apocalypse is over and you make one of your trips to Fort Collins, that maybe you'll find this mysterious brown dog pizza shop. Thank you so much. I enjoyed uh, this interview. Take care. You too. Bye.